0: This is a very special episode of Through the Wind Door, News of the Century. There's something else I want to talk about in relation to the ending of this story, but it just Mm -hmm. occurred to me one moment that we skipped over a little bit that I just want to pay uh, proper attention to. Uh, There is is another reason why Back in Time and Space is a better version of Back to the Future, Mm -hmm. in that it doesn't erase black contributions to music.
1: Yes! Oh, (laughs) yeah. With mm.
0: Joe Wayland, I mm. love him. And I love that even as a part of this story, where they're literally bringing back an Iowa music player, and he and his daughter listen to this music, find it a fascinating artifact of the future, that ends up getting taken away from them anyway, to a certain extent. And mm. Joe comes back into the picture and says, you know what? I make music anyway. I prefer playing my own music. So that means Mm -hmm. that he shows up in the epilogue of this story, that he is still making his own craft, unaffected by the events of the timeline shenanigans. And we get to hear that as being a part of this world, rather Mm. than the complicated, extremely problematic element of Mm. Back to the Future, where marty mcfly introduces johnny b good to the past uh, and, and therefore erases the fact that um, this is something that a black man came up with because no um, he heard it from marty mcfly and, who knew about it because of his uh,
1: the, we were talking before we started the podcast proper of how you want people to like grow because that's something that is done out of it's clearly done out of love it's clearly done out of like oh it, man isn't this music it's, just it's the clever. best yeah but that doesn't that's, that's, that's mean that's it's misguided. Problem. Like it's like you you can do something that's out of love, and it can even be clever. That doesn't mean that it's doesn't have a.
0: It's 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 um fuck. It's Ian Malcolm. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not
2: they could, they didn't stop to think
1: if they should. Yes. Uh,
2: <laughs>
1: absolutely. Uh, man, this is. There's so many like human moments in this and some of it feels like just conversation. And like then you think on it and it's like, no, why should something just mean what it is rather than have extra layers of meaning? This is where I want to get to a very particular influence on Charlie that comes from their contemporary culture,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is... Undertale mm. because carrying
0: carrying around her her um skeleton gloves and yes. everything also uh, we know that she loves the uh, Undertale remixes
1: mm. I I do too I really enjoy her uh, mm. like I think it's a whole like it's an actual genre of music that I like um you know what let me like I will say what's the name of it uh, I'll just drop it here in case like i'm sure this is one that like if someone is familiar with undertale remixes that they will already be very familiar with i'm just going to find the album here it is live at grillbys it's an undertale jazz album by insane in the rain music i mm-hmm. love it little piece of trivia back when i was working somewhere where we had access to like just the sound system it was a mini golf place and we mm-hmm. could just go on spotify and select different music to play, I would put on this jazz Undertale album and play it. People seem to enjoy it and mm. while they were doing their mini-golf, so, you know, that's just a little thing. If if you enjoy remixes of Undertale and haven't uh, listened to that, it's great. I listen to it regularly, even now. Anyway, going back to Undertale and its presence here. At first, you think, like, you know, this is great sort of modern culture stuff, especially when you see the list of aliases that Charlie is considering when she's confronted <laughs> with the trio and it's just sort of oh my god, even that has it feeds into the point I'm about to make. And it's like Lincoln Zelderson, um, sans papyrus, like all of this stuff. Lilou Scoresby. So Lelo scores me all wonderful. But something that is a big part of the Undertale fandom, or a certain like large group of it. Something that has become a huge phenomenon in and of itself, that even if you really enjoy and love Undertale, you may not necessarily be aware of, is this like this almost infinite wealth of AUs, like alternate universes that people have come up with for Undertale, and how there are even stories that people have come up with of like different versions of Sans that will like go around like sort of erasing or like trying to say it's. Like it's become this multi-universe thing, and even oh, Undertale, God, yes. and even Undertale, like in and of itself, plays with this idea of like timelines and how just mm-hmm. every time you restart the game, that's you like almost creating a new timeline,
0: and the world universe remembers it. Yeah, exactly. The universe how, will remember that, as, yeah. as Telltale might say. <laughs> For those of you that are either not familiar with the multiple Undertale AUs or even somehow missed out on Undertale itself, I am putting a link in the show notes regarding a YouTube show that details both. Maybe all this talk means that you're interested in actually playing the game, but I will say that as someone that has tried, the most intriguing parts of the story require a significant level of skill that not everyone is going to be able to manage. I didn't. And therefore, perhaps the only way to learn more is to have an alternate way to experience it. That said, I do think that the story is compelling enough that it's worth looking into one way or another.
1: Then, I, in relaying this, I'm also realizing that Link Zeldeson has a presence in this because that also is a series with timelines. Yep. Granted, that's like just the fans who are like, sort of looking at that although it was made official in an encyclopedia but the point is different games in the series exist on different timelines and things like that so all of these cultural references which are indicative of an entire like world of influences that charlie may be leaving behind and they're things that you likely love as well and you can see the impulse to not want to leave that behind. They nevertheless have a presence here because it's showing a wealth of like time travel narratives and alternate timelines and things that are all feeding into this. And it's wonderful. It's this dance of influences as you weave between them and it simultaneously feels like all of them and none of them because it's its own thing. And I'm going to stop now because I'll never stop if I carry on <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's. Hmm. I mean, again, that's a little bit part and parcel with Charlie's experience, which is pretty central to this story. I hadn't even necessarily considered that. I, I only became aware of the Undertale phenomenon relatively recently.
1: Was it the Eye Patch Wolf video? Yes, like, it, it, I it do was, recommend it was, that.
0: Mm. Yes, no, it, it was the Super Eye Patch Wolf video. I had played through a good portion of the game at this point and got stuck fighting um the spider girl because i was Mm -hmm. trying to go for a pacifist playthrough and that is really fucking hard when you only have 20 fucking hit points um but now i know a little bit about all the stuff that you were talking about
1: sorry so a wait team. a
0: second, is that related to Undertale, or are you literally humming along to Freakazoid there?
1: Oh um. my god, that might actually be Freakazoid. No, it's the, <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, the spider dance theme, it which is. is her... Okay,
0: okay fair enough. Uh, yeah, I, I figured that was the reference you were trying to make, but as I was listening to you do it, I was like, that sounded like... Super freakazoid, freakazoid.
1: Runs around in underwear. Freakazoid, freakazoid. So... What is that uh, remix?
0: Yeah, the the whole to the outsider. I mean, hell, to, to even to the insider, Undertale stuff seems insane in mm. terms of the level of mimetic and fractal iteration and reiteration of this world. That is part and parcel of the fact of the there being multiple timelines and everything like that. And I have had a chance mm. now to as a result of knowing some of the names and being able to use the internet to look things up, to learn more about the complex web of just Undertale on its own, like mm. the interactions between... Sorry, I'm not going to talk about any of that, because I don't want to spoil the experience for anyone that hasn't played Undertale. That's true. That's and, that, true. and that is not necessarily relevant mm. to our discussion of this book in hmm. New Century. We will just say that there is definitely influences there that are, that are part of all of that. So the fact that Charlie Penrose Gray carries around these gloves and these influences are part and parcel of her story. But here's one of the things that I do want to bring up, and this isn't going to be something that's going to be resolved anytime soon. Because it's a little bit part and parcel with the future of the new century narrative and everything like that, we now have to take into consideration not just the idea that things had to turn out the way they did in this story, in century, from a narrative perspective, so to preserve the stories that we read and love and everything like that. But we have to take into account that things turned out the way they did because of the actions of Yagana. We Mm. don't see what Merlane is doing in all of this. It's entirely possible that part of the reason why she is not a presence in the story is because she felt that she had to leave it up to Charlie and the doc to navigate this themselves and uh figure out the best course of events and everything like that. It could be that she had her own issues to deal with, particularly in regards to how these new timelines played out with the people that are most important to her, the Princess Thieves group. But someone that was always playing with things behind the scenes is Yagana herself. Yeesh. As Alex has pointed out in private conversation, and as you know because of our discussions about Nightfall mm. of the Wendigo, I have a little bit of a hang up with her because yeah. of what she did over the course of that particular book, which cast her in a different light above and beyond everything else that she's done. The final thing that Yagana kind of says to James that what is coming will take all their strength and more suggests that maybe, maybe, everything she has done was towards a greater goal that would actually preserve the world of Century, rather than delivering them to the void they kept encountering when using the quartet to check on the future. But if we look at Yagana's more selfish actions, a separate thought that I had was that Yagana doesn't care what happens to Century at all. In an infinite multiverse... Maybe one timeline matters not at all. And the deals she made were purely for her own benefit because she could easily leave Century to its fate and go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe she is playing a game that is to the benefit of this reality but the way she goes about it, where she deliberately does harm doesn't make us feel good about it.
2: Mm. That's
0: what makes her the opposite of Merlane.
2: Mm. Merlane
0: does her best to shape events, but she tries to avoid causing harm in doing so. She has a lighter touch to this. She influences. Mm. She doesn't make deals. She doesn't do things that result in people dying.
1: She tries to restore, and when she does something that, like, you can compare against Yagana mm-hmm. she specifically phrases it as free of charge darling mm-hmm. that's oh, too-
0: yes mm. exactly so
1: and that's the point is that like she just in an instant did what James and Abigail were considering an uncivil outlaw and they knew would carry a price and she just in an instant without any consideration of extracting something from these people she just Transmutes it. She, it it flows like water. She is mm-hmm. like almost channeling like water bending powers in that moment, where she is able to make something flow from one into the other, and she has taken nothing.
0: It's the That's snow why cloud. It's Michael removing obstacles from their path, <laughs> but without the the unfortunate connotations of that particular moment in The Good Place where if you change too much, then you actually cause... it's like, now you have a different problem.
1: Sober, mm. um, I very much appreciate the gif you chose on the uh, Fireside <laughs> uh, Discord.
0: Yeah, Not only yeah.
1: because it has this positive thing, and I love that moment, but mm-hmm. because hey, hey, it's associated with multiple timelines and iterations of things.
0: Thinking fourth dimensionally.
1: Exactly. Thinking fourth dimensionally before we even start the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. Chef's kiss. In order to future-proof this reference, Toby is referring to a part where I was using a gift from The Good Place to designate the beginning of our recording of these three episodes of News of the Century with Michael saying, okay, here we go.
1: But to return this to less pleasurable conversation matter of Yagana.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm in this place now with her character where I am still just I want to learn more, even though it's one of those things that you know that the more you learn, the more you will be unsettled and like mm. horrified. And it is absolutely like Alex's prerogative what to reveal or not reveal about her character. Just as we discussed this with Seth. That mm-hmm, a lot mm. of the things that frighten us or that can enact great change on us are often forces that are beyond our understanding, and so that's kind of what Yagana represents to me—a malevolent force beyond our understanding. Whereas everything that we is a positive thing is something that we get to know. Mm-hmm. That, like, even, as much as we don't know about Mulane and the Nag we know so much more about who they are than we do about Yagana because they give whereas she takes. Mm-hmm. And I think that what Yagana represents now is not someone that I analyze in the same way as any of the other much more humanized characters of new century. I have no doubt that there is motivations and past and complexities to her that, Motivate her and inform on Alex's writing on her and all the terrible things she does, but her position in the story right now is something that you you have to view as this obstacle.
0: We talked about what made her scary, yes, back in *Uncivil Outlaw*, um, mm-hmm. specifically in our interview with Alex and Sharon. And the simple truth of the matter is, is the second she shows up, the second her even her influence shows up you know that something bad is going to happen. That is the dread of Yagana.
1: You don't know
0: what she's going to do, but whatever she's going to do is going to change everything.
1: Absolutely. And I I think uh, one of us present at the time sort of expressed it as that it's not just that you know that she's going to take a toll, it's that you often won't know what the toll is, and that's terrifying. and. Mm and even when you think you know the extent of just how far it reaches just it's pervasive and Mm -hmm. that's experienced in no more powerful moment than when you see charlie and doc trying to say okay well why don't we do this and it's like they arrive a day earlier like and it's how is this happening you get the sense that the only reason that the save the tiger timeline panned out into what we know to be the last couple of books like phase two essentially excluding uh princess thieves is that it's because her end goal is still accomplished Rasputin still ends up with an like an endowment and it's like
0: she she doesn't change that because that's what she wants
1: yes and at the very least that's sort of at least we have that confirmed now Mm -hmm. because that's the constant between the timelines, which means that like, as much as we still don't know, at least we have one thing we know for certain that like, this is what she wanted, or at least this is like, she wanted this deal to be fulfilled to this Mm -hmm. extent.
0: Yeah. There is more that I could say about Yagana in particular but I also worry about doing so due to the fact that I clearly have my own axe to grind. My feelings seem justified to me, but this story is about more than just one character. That said, it's interesting listening back to this and thinking on her as someone that wields agency over time itself, considering the final episode of the D-plus TV show Loki and the revelations there on the origins of the current order of that multiverse. This is not the place to spoil a different show, of course, but I will end on this note. I mistrust anyone that both thinks they know better than anyone else as to the way things should be, and has the power to ensure it. The big bad in the Loki show is the culmination of that idea and part of me sees in Yagana something similar. Not unlike how we felt about Mr. White, just on a much bigger scale. And though we talk a lot about Yagana being unknowable and inhuman, I think what bothers me now isn't that. It's the idea that, to me, she has revealed herself as having mortal desires and feelings. That somehow scares me more than anything we don't know. I feel like I'm I'm running a little bit out of steam at this point. Mm. Like I don't want yeah, this covering to go on. a
1: good amount. Um, yeah, and,
0: and and unlike our retrospectives, we don't have a list of, of topics that we actually mm. want to cover. So this could in theory go on as long as we want it to. Talking about back in time and space enacts a toll on us as well oh yeah so are there any other elements that immediately come to mind as things that you want to talk about after having experienced this story because obviously the, this, this conversation is never going to end mm. we're going to revisit no. this when we do a QA mm. with Alex and Sharon we're going to revisit this when we eventually mm. do the retrospective there is mm. there is plenty of time. There was plenty yes. of time to talk about this. We
1: have but... all the time in the world. I suppose like, the only thing that I will say is to, like, despite us having touched on it earlier, is to just like go over Edward and Callie one more time because
2: mm.
1: we've covered Charlie very thoroughly, I think. Mm. Not exhaustively. That comes later. I think what's wonderful and I've used that word a lot this session, but I stand by it, about their characteristics and their dynamics, is that you were talking about how earlier that like there is a sadness to them, that like they have these like the same sort of brown, wide, expressive puppy dog eyes that we know that Doc Brown has in uh Back to the Future. But despite the sadness of what Edward goes through in the first part like the toll that he's going through he is so diligent as the mm. like pillar of support to Charlie for the rest of it i don't think he really goes into that because like he has to be at, like there for Charlie he has to be that she literally has no one else and if he has lost like the most important people the important, most important women in his life, he's not going to lose this last person, even if he probably knows full well that this will end in them passing, or he fears that that might be the case. He has
0: to be the adult in the
1: room. Mm, I mean, exactly. he is the adult
0: in the room, but the, the thing is, is that he knows that this is too much for Charlie to deal with right now, mm. so he has to be the bedrock. He has to be... Yeah the Uncle Iroh to mm. Charlie Zuko. Um, exactly. he, and even at the end, when he sacrifices his life, he does so willingly because he feels like he's given this mm. world the best chance to survive. Mm. And it's only because Callie shows up with her own quartet,
1: her own Jeep yeah. Cherokee,
0: that we were able to say, no, this is a cost that we're not willing to pay.
1: Exactly, that and we,
0: we managed to bring that particular story back from the edge.
1: Yeah, and how when I forget exactly what it is, but Charlie says something that is quite like hurtful. The narration says that like she could say so much more, and he would accept it because
2: mm-hmm.
1: he knows that what she's going through is unthinkable. It has never before been conceived, and she is going through it. He. Is patient enough for all of this so he is such a like position of responsibility and i think that goes wonderfully with that sort of childlike enthusiasm that he never lost that he carries with him through his replication of his idol and through all this like ephemera that he carries mm-hmm. with him despite the scene where he pulls the, presses the ejector button and that happens so quickly. I love the scene beforehand where they are talking about like what they are going to do. Mm. And how like Doc says that like I really enjoyed your YouTube series. Like your mm. thing on ADHD was mm-hmm. very useful to me. And Shelly says like you never said that. And he was like, I didn't want you to be sort of self-conscious or something like that. And it's just this wonderful wonderful relationship between the two and you're so happy that that isn't lost that moment at the end is absolutely the right reward for edward and for Callie as well it's a bittersweet reward for us like as fans of their characters because looking forward to the future there's a possibility that this will be the last we ever see of like the Callie, Edward, and uh Charlie Harry Penrose, because this is a slightly meta inference, but this is I think the only time travel story that Alex plans to write. And with that in mind, I think that Edward and those three go off to their future, which will have trials and tribulations, but like it is right that they go back to that world. Mm-hmm. And because of like mechanics in play here there are things put in place which mean that it is unlikely that they will return because of the elapsation of time Uh, like it takes a short amount of time in century for a lot of time to pass there so we're very happy that edward and kali are reunited but we it happens when we have to say goodbye to them and that pain charlie feels is something we feel as well that that farewell like i think they're lovely characters and i'm just sorry to say goodbye to them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: well never say never
0: no never say never even even alex doesn't know for certain Hmm. like let you know they may decide to incorporate them into the future or they
1: incorporated them into the future didn't
0: they into books that are not written But, and this is pure supposition at this point, Mm -hmm. there is... The text, I don't think specifically yay or nays this, but Back in Time and Space brings up Malloy and Maggie Strother, and does not resolve that.
1: Yeah. And I am
0: seriously wondering... If it's going to turn out that Malloy and Maggie Strother are ancient Edward and Callie,
1: that is my thinking. That is probably <laughs> it, because they're older, and like because of like the necessity mm-hmm. of it, and so it's yeah, yeah. That's probably going to be it. Because I depends. said, uh, like, I yeah. imagined that the end result of this will be, and I thought that, like, when Edward had, like, disappeared, that, like, he would end up being, like, just sort of mm-hmm. traveling throughout time as Malloy, and that's still I'm a stuck possibility. In time. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't know yet because um, we know that Edward is distinctly dark skinned, and mm-hmm. maybe you could adjust that with, like, makeup and everything like that, but, um, the skin tone of Malloy, I think, is never brought up.
1: Mm, we'll have to so, we'll have to pay attention to that uh, in the yeah. past and also the future.
0: Yes, exactly. But yeah, so that 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 is a dangling plot thread that may be resolved in what we know of this, but slightly to one side. I think that Edward and Callie and Charlie Harry Gray. Have to sort of be taken out of the equation a little bit, because mm. we now have already established the power of time travel, and also the difficult responsibility that, that comes with using it. So removing it from the chessboard—very mm. appropriate considering the. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Removing yeah. it from the chessboard of future stories is also is almost kind of important, because this timeline this reality has to sort of stand on its own two feet without a complex agency that Mm -hmm. the jeep cherokee could provide yeah going forward
1: it's one of those great traps isn't it that like any ongoing series once it introduces time travel you Mm -hmm. run the risk of like like power creep power creep and just any sort of thing of like okay why is this story not resolved with this and like we're, we're not approaching these stories as logic puzzles. you sort of want to like contain it like and the characters are kind of aware of this as well like any extra excerpts that was included in the back matter when it's that and I really appreciate its inclusion in that capacity where Abigail has explained to James sort of specifics mm-hmm. and the specifics don't necessarily like, Matter, but the most important thing about it is that all of these questions that are raised are precisely why they are put imposing rules on themselves so as to not like let it run away from them mm-hmm. and get out of control. And that mm-hmm. kind of feels representative of what Alex and Jesse would have uh, been doing in the sort of planning of all of this because yeah. it's just all stuff that it's like we can't let this get out of control because. I would never go so far as to say that like, you run the risk of breaking your series by doing mm-hmm. that, but it certainly becomes a sticking point that's mm-hmm. like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be lost, but I'm glad that there is a level of responsibility and restraint at play here.
0: Just a couple of days back, Red from OSP released a video on the, it was all a dream trope which kind of resonated a bit as to why time travel can be such a difficult story element to work with. As I mentioned way back in our introduction, time travel is the ultimate agency. It gives you so much power that it makes you wonder why anything bad ever happens at all. Yagana makes a fascinating foil to that, as well as the fact that random things can happen all the time. But the bigger issue is that these are stories— They are, by definition, fiction. They are events that did not happen, and therefore the agreement between storyteller and audience is that they will suspend their disbelief to allow the story to be told and enjoyed. In the video, Red talks about how the it was all a dream trope can be a major disruption to that agreement. When the audience has already agreed to believe that the story is to some degree real, and as a part of the text, the story suddenly says, Ha ha, the story wasn't real at all, I fooled you. That is a kind of cognitive dissonance that can utterly ruin audience engagement. Now, suspension of disbelief can be disrupted a number of ways. And schooled movies often talks about a bunch of these, as well as the fact that as long as a story is told well, sometimes these disruptions either go by unnoticed or forgiven by the audience. Time travel can be as disrupted as the above trope, but for a different reason. Stories have different levels of power fantasy involved, with little things like character gullibility and the durability of our heroes being on the low end of the spectrum, and superpowers and time travel being at the high end. When using something that powerful, one of the only ways to keep it functional within a storytelling framework is to have very specific limitations on how it works. This is what Jesse Ferguson's podcast, Recorded Tomorrow, is all about, highlighting the mistakes often made by time travel fiction, and what you need to do to have the audience buy in, rather than, say, devolving into the Cinema Sins mindset. At the end of the day, the reason why Alex brought in an outside expert is that he has a fundamental understanding of how stories work. If you're going to use elements that challenge your audience's ability to buy in, then do the work. And as Jesse would remind us, be consistent. Final thoughts. I love that the totem of the trio timeline gets to live on as Mm. Charlie, as Charlie Harry Gray gets to bring that creative work into the future where it can live. This creation of Jamie Penrose is not lost. Mm. That's one of the very touching moments towards the end, uh, as as, as far as how all of that plays out. I have no idea how it's actually going to affect everything going forward, but the fact that there are now two Jeremys and two Donalds, and the two of them are going around with fake beards so that they can integrate is just...
1: Amazing! Hilarious! Yes, amazing.
0: Exactly. It's good that steadfast Donald insisted that if this version of Jeremy was going to be unstuck from his reality, that Donald insisted that he go with him, mm. so that that version of Jeremy would not be alone. Yes, as I recall, I think Alex posting on the Discord in response to your notes as you were going through Back in Time and Space,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Alex was going around and apologizing to Matt for having to voice Caleb Buck again. <laughs> the one character that poor Matt hated to voice the most.
1: Oh my god. But
0: yeah, th- this this story really was an old home week for a lot of characters that either will be voiced again or are just referred to as Mm. being components. Because obviously we're not going to hear Victoria voice Virgil, unfortunately. Um, Mm. We are fortunately not going to hear Spencer have to voice Crabbe. Was it Spencer or Matt that voiced Tremaine?
1: Ooh, Uh, one sec. Don't, don't
0: don't worry about it. I'll I'll uh I'll go back and fix this in the edit.
1: Future Greg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come come um, in with your mustache and everything. It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh no, it's evil Greg with the goatee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Our alternate reality, Greg. Anyway, I don't even want to know. What evil
1: Greg and evil Toby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is. Oh, I'm exhausted already. Going back to our interview list, Matt did voice Tremaine as well as Mayor Caleb Buck, so dodged a bullet there in that he's not going to have to revoice two racist assholes.
1: Concluding thoughts is I I made this joke already, but uh, in the Discord, but it's great, Scott. Like it's <laughs> just such a like. It frazzled my head after I was done, and this is why I always love these sessions is that it kind of helps me to sort of, like, let it sit as what it Mm -hmm. is. And I think almost more than so many other, more than any other New Century book, this is one that will continue to sort of, like, bubble in your head, like, long after you're done reading, because you're, like, there's so many directions that it goes Mm -hmm. in. Yet what I love is that at its heart, it's this story about people moving forward and trying the best they can, even as the world grows ever more complicated and oppressive around them, but they nevertheless keep moving forward. And by the end of it, they have a family. They've lost family, but they gain New possibilities that they never thought possible out of it that's a wonderful end point for this, as much as there are bittersweet implications, that is the sweet part of it that you hold mm. on to, and that means that this leaves a lovely taste in your mouth
0: you know as a part of the introduction, I mentioned that I wasn't going to talk about the implications that Princess thieves is now the new starting point for phase two mm-hmm. But this also means that the book that Alex is writing right now, the next Princess Thieves book, is now going to be the beginning of the new Phase 3. Oh, shit. Which, which means that once more, there's patterns repeating themselves to a certain mm. extent. Like, you can now view Phase 1 as beginning with a story in the UK, and the next story after that is james and abigail and now this phase two is a story beginning in the uk and the next story being james and abigail Mm. and now phase three is beginning with a story in the uk that also goes back in time the way princess thieves would go back in time because those events would have been happening with a little bit of synchronicity with the events of phase one and you know what that means That means at some point, we are possibly going to get a conversation between Merlane and the Nag about whatever time travel shenanigans Charlie and the Doc are getting
1: into. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god. (laughs) I'm done. I I had to tap out. This... This has been a wonderful evening of just mm. geeking out and like thinking of all these possibilities and everything. I, I feel a sudden impulse to go and read a, a whole bunch of books again, or to re-watch Back to the Future in its entirety. Mm-hmm. It's just, as hard and as heavy as this book is, it's just, it propels you forward. It's great.
0: Mm-hmm. There are more things we could potentially say, but We'll have an opportunity to say them later. This Mm -hmm. is a good end point, and it's getting late, and it's fucking hot in here. I want to get into my car where the full air conditioner is. Excuse me, where, 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 where air conditioning that can keep up with the heat will be okay for me. So, dear listeners, thank you for coming along on this journey with us. And that's the way it is. Thank you. Hey, true believers, don't touch that dial, because there will be plenty of outtakes after the outro, and that will add some needed content to this slightly shorter episode. I also feel a little sad about finishing this episode off, because it's likely to be the last news for a while, given Alex taking things a little slower from here, for multiple reasons. But that just means there will be plenty of focus on Arlington, and then Steamheart after that, and once I've finished the Century Tales edit... I'll have a better idea on what direction I want to take that show. To close this out, there is obviously an embarrassment of riches that I could have picked for our final news song. But since I tend to pick one that is both one I'm familiar with and one I haven't used already, and also one that is specific for a topic, I was uncertain which direction to go in. I can easily see Edward Slash Kaylee identifying with Alive by Pearl Jam, but that song also has some questionable components I don't feel like getting into, and that's the only song off of 10 that I'm familiar with. In the end, I decided to go with one that feels more lyrically representative of this book and its place in the series. It's also a song that came out not long after I graduated high school and was trying to figure out my life in the wake of having a mental breakdown and dropping out of college and it resonates once again as I look for a new place to live and figure out what my new beginning is going to be. So until next time, this is Semisonic, singing about closing time.
2: The places you will.
1: That's right, right, Greg. I started the recording while you were away. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> you mastermind! <laughs> <laughs> Look at me, being helpful and productive, like yeah. a savvy fucker. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> because, you see, Greg, today we are going to be talking about... Plus space.
0: Oh my god! You prepared that, you fucker! Yes, I did!
1: Yes, I did. I had the idea earlier today and I was like, I'm gonna just cue this up. All right, and there we go.
0: You know what? It, at, at, at some point, it's just gonna be like, you are going to surpass me in terms of being the better showman here. I have <laughs> I have most of the power at my fingertips because I'm the editor and so they're, therefore can edit in a whole bunch of things after the fact. But you were uh, you're showing uh, a greater savviness in terms of being able to set things up just so.
1: This is what we in the biz call in-camera effects. <laughs> All right. I just want everyone who hears that, in case you hear it, that was me. That like Greg didn't edit in that music unless it didn't turn out so great on the recording, in which case he did. But on the day of recording, that was me. <laughs> I haven't had the coffee yet by the way, that's the sort of energy we're in, I've I've been fortunate because I have had the practice of like meeting with an old friend earlier today and talking with him and then just before speaking with you I was speaking with my mum to tell her about how wedding preparation and everything is going and everything is just (laughs) snapping into place and I'm feeling in exactly the right headspace and plus time to talk about a new new century book. I'm excited. You know what's also a good stimuli? Mm. Exciting new books, and I am. I say that, and immediately realize, no, Alex, that's not incentive for you to keep like writing like a madman. It's, I mean. <laughs> You know the madness is very like appreciated. It comes into play, but what I mean is, at the rate of a madman, you—he
0: is writing
1: the next thieves
0: book at this point. It's just that he's not doing everything else. (laughs) He's—he's—he's not doing everything else on top of that because at this point, um, it's not just about keeping his brain busy, keeping his work life busy. It's also about not having his body break down and everything like that. Well, I love, I, I love seeing your energy level though. It makes me. Yes. It makes me happy.
1: Yes, this is. I believe because we've done the video format for the last couple of ones. Mm-hmm. This is the first time we're doing it within news, isn't it? Yeah. It
0: well, is. That's it's. going
1: to be that's going to be <laughs> exciting. Where like, I think it fits because we're going fourth dimensionally. Where as the subject matter is growing in dimension, so too is the format of recording. Not necessarily the delivery method, but then you know, like, there's only so much data we can get through the window to you lovely folks at home.
0: <laughs> this, this is funny, because in another part of the Discord, they were talking about, like, what it would have been like in order to try and send the Death Star plans via 14.4 via modem. Um... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been off the Discord for a couple of days. I always like when you just come sort of slinking back in and there's been a whole slew of, like, like, around uh, about Christmas time, I was fortunate enough to be present, but in the aftermath, I must have imagined it would as ridiculous when it was just people sharing the most disgusting looking old time recipes. And <laughs> it's just this thing that sometimes it gathers momentum. And before you know it, it's you've got a... Multiple pages worth of terrible things like shark fin jelly or something like that. I'm exaggerating and yet underselling it at the same time. That's how bad it was. Oh, uh, <laughs> very nice uh, shirt, by the way. I see that you are wearing comics. Oh, oh weird.
0: weird. Yes. All the way back in like the early. Is it the early two thousands? No, I guess it would have been 2010s? the late two thousands. No, no, it wasn't. Uh-huh. Wouldn't have been the twenty tens. That would have probably been around like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, or something like that. Whenever it was that the Escapist magazine was big, but it wasn't overrun by Gamergate yet. yet. Uh, um, when yeah. w-
1: when Loading Ready I was, Road was doing time. its
0: things, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, like,
1: like, when I was a mid teen, mm-hmm. I just uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> add to that unskippable was that show that i loved like i i was introduced to unskippable before i knew what mystery science theater was as a result of movie bob introducing it through one of his big picture episodes and i'm very thankful to him for that but um unskippable was what i would watch after class and i would just be like "Ah, brilliant and i would wait each week for a new episode and I miss it and to be honest, like I should be well, more honest with myself because that comedy didn't go anywhere. I just like for whatever reason uh didn't keep up with loading Ready Run, even though every single time I hear a glimpse of like what they're doing now, they're amazing and their various podcasts and things all they continue to be just an excellent group of people from Oh yes. The, yeah.
0: No, I'm taking my own cues from some of them in terms of how they introduce their live show. From near and far, young and old, people of every shape, ability, and gender, welcome to Loading Ready Live. Lovely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are some of the most inclusive people out there. Mm. And the line I got way back when I did the introduction to Through the Window, to guys, gals, and non-binary pals... That was something that was queued up from Ben Ulmer, one of their. He was originally one of the state, one of the behind the scenes people in terms of recording and editing and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And he he has his own flavor of humor that they decided mm-hmm. to use him to put him in front of the camera as time. Mm-hmm. on,
1: Isn't it nice when the people you would whose work and uh, like expressive art that you enjoy on the internet grow? over time rather Mm. than regress or stagnate i think uh, if you put out something of yourself long enough it's impossible that like there's not something that you regret about yourself that's just what growth is i think that what people tend to miss the point of is that it's not the point is not to have a perfect score sheet like Mm -hmm. that's not if the negative point is bad enough yeah we're gonna be upset and hold it against you but like the point is that like it's not about having a clean sh- record it's about having the impetus and the self action to actually grow and become better
0: mm-hmm. and
1: i haven't gone back to like a lot of the like original stuff for a while but i have like no doubt that that some things that loading ready run have put out over the years that they've just gotten better and better at not just in like technical comedy but in just as the, people and the, that's yes, that's what got, i love to see
0: they've gotten better equipment they've gotten better at timing and everything like that but it's also one of the things that's gotten better is their own understanding of themselves what comedy to do and not to do and stuff like that like they've never been hugely problematic or anything like that mm-hmm. but i think they have definitely gotten more sensitive over the years they're they're in the right age bracket they're already Coming from the right kind of influences and stuff like mm. that, so that it's mm-hmm. easy to make the transition to be even better than they were. The reason why we started talking about this because of Bob. Bob was one of the first people on Escapist to get my attention because I was a huge comics nerd. And so therefore, mm. any time he brought up comics is like, oh, yeah, I know about that stuff. I was carrying around all this arcane lore that I didn't have a chance to talk about all that much mm. and I even got a chance to learn about things corners of comics that I didn't know about and mm. as it went on as he talked about the studio system and as he talked about you know other stuff like uh animating uh Yogi and the reason why the collar the was
1: necktie exactly that was yeah. wonderful stuff yeah made me I think that was an early like animation insight that I was very thankful for
0: The thing that got me recently was on one of his Eternals episodes where Mm -hmm. he's going back and trying to explain uh, how the Eternals are potentially going to be relevant to the MCU based on all the things that they were involved in over the course of the 70s and 80s and 90s and everything like that. And at one point, there's so much tangential stuff that he brings up that he's going to be like, no, I'm not going to explain this. One of the things that comes up is no I'm not going to explain the young gods and I just fucking my forehead hit the desk because I know about the young gods and that's how fucking old I am
1: <laughs> Um it's the it's the moment you know like when you're old is when someone makes a joke of ask your parents
2: <laughs> you don't
1: you don't need to ask the, your parents you have first hand knowledge. That's sort of like when people are asking, like, hey, what's the that thing that they use in like in Cowboy Bebop? Like, why like <laughs> what is that? And like the characters in Cowboy Bebop because they're in the future, like, what's this like V H S? And I'm like, oh no. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> but this is perfect because we are talking about. The progression of time, mm-hmm. how things develop, how we change. Looking back, just going back and forward along our various respective timelines. And hey, what's the subject of conversation today, Greg?
0: Let's just say that some of that is already in my introduction. But um, and now that we've mm-hmm. warmed up, let's let's get let's get into it.
1: <clears throat>
0: Hello, dear. <clears throat>
1: Perfect. <laughs> Color the yeah. That was good.
0: <laughs> I I don't know what my like the the introduction that I wrote was the only preparation. I did not know. Mm. Like I could have thought about it. I could have made more notes about things that I wanted to bring up, but that's that's not the brand.
1: That's not I, the I brand. I think it. I think synced up well enough. Like yes. uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, I, you know, the point is like the only rule is that there are no rules in news <laughs> of the century. So like, you know, by all means, do that because like that introduction you did was killer. It was very good. I'm
0: glad you liked it. I read it for Maureen last night, um, and she didn't have any notes about it, but she commented on just how she thought it was perfect. She's biased, I mean, but she she also has... Yeah, and she also has experience listening to me both ramble on and talk about my thoughts when they're all gathered together at one place, and I can refine Mm. it to the point where I feel like Whatever I'm trying to talk about is crystal clear. So I'm glad that you agree that Mm. that that beginning worked very well. And I'm glad that we brought all of the energy that we do to a news Mm -hmm. of the century that make it stand out from our regular retrospectives. Oh, yeah. Uh, And I'm glad that we finally got to record on this.
1: Finally. I apologize for like how that works out, but in some yeah. ways I like the sort of energy that comes out as a result of that, where you have like this, you've had time to for it to stew and like reflect, and you get insights that I couldn't think of, mm-hmm. and I will come in, coffee in hand, and just sort of just like. Poof, just maximum toby yeah, yeah exactly Ma- maximum toby
0: okay i so uh, to, to, to bring bringing in the good place references maximum toby <laughs> <sighs> okay. okay okay
1: toby I'm gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> toby um That's an ad. Shit. I was going to do a uh, gag with, um, like, Sans dialogue, uh, Undertale. Uh, No, let me go back and uh, redo that. Fuck.